As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Nazere, Lawrence Delalio-san, Osira Nain, no? What do you mean you've never heard of Lawrence Delalio? A lot of people have been saying that actually, in more than one language. This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times. England's World Cup is up and running with two wins out of two, but Piers Francis has been cited for his high tackle against the USA. Another massive weekend of matches is coming up, including Wales against the Wallabies and Ireland faced host Japan. And what about the Scots? We get the latest on their stuttering campaign. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and helping me digest the first full week of Rugby World Cup is a man who digested his own body weight in Kobe beef. It is, of course, the Times' Owen Slot. Owen, how are you? Have you been uh, whining and dining in the... Well, yeah, I'm obviously uh, um, horrendously overweight, so I'm hoping my wife's not listening to this. Kobe's been a great city. This World Cup is clearly a, an enlightening experience for travellers like myself. I don't really know Japan. There's so much to like. It's just very different, and it's just a great experience. And uh, I need to sharpen up my karaoke skills as well. <laughs> I mean, just going straight into the, the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, this World Cup, Owen, is, is kind of being defined by the safe tackle technique. Uh, we thought we may see a bit of discipline early on in the tournament, but we did see our first red card in the England-USA game to John Quill. We'll get on to that one in a second, but uh, the opening news really, Piers Francis very unsurprisingly cited for his uh, tackle, high tackle really, on uh, Will Hooley in the opening few seconds of the game. Uh, I don't think Eddie Jones or anyone watching that game can have few complaints about that. He didn't he didn't go in there with that intent and that malice, perhaps, that we've seen of other tackles, but it was still high all the same. Lawrence, I was just baffled by that tackle. I mean, it was, it was from the kickoff. And, and as you say, that the narrative to this World Cup has been high tackles, what's legal, what isn't, what, what, what are you going to be allowed to get away with? And Piers Francis not heard anything or you've been in his mindset, your big World Cup game, you're so pumped up for it. Maybe it was, it was a bit red mist, but I'm sure he'd been told that from the kickoff, you're the runner who's going to nail the guy who collects the kick, the, the, the kickstart. So a lot of things, but just phenomenally stupid by him. And it's a shame for me that, that this World Cup rumbles on and we're talking so much about this issue. Maybe it's good for rugby in a way because maybe it's helping slowly make the points about what's OK and what isn't. But it's a, it's a pretty painful argument the way it's being run. Well, I think there's two things that stand out for me. One, that the world rugby directives are clearly not been digested the same way across the rugby world. Because, you know, what people think in Australia is very different to what people see and think in maybe Wales or England. I mean, we've had the benefit of having these directives implemented 
uh, halfway through last season, certainly for European and, and domestic rugby. And I think there's a, a slowly a behavioural change, which we're starting to see, you know, with Piers France's tackle. I think it is slightly different because I don't think he went out there to recklessly hurt Will Hooley. I just think he got his timing wrong. And there will be accidents in, in, in this World Cup and it won't be the first and it won't be the last um, because players will go in full throttle. But unfortunately, if they get their timing wrong, they're going to end up hitting the head. And there'll be a lot of people saying, well, he should be banned for three weeks, you know, because the precedent's been set with uh, the Reese Hodge incident. But it's not because Piers Francis is English. I don't see it quite like the Reese Hodge incident, the tackle. I think it probably pick up a, a one, maybe a two match ban. Uh, because he did try and tackle him, it just unfortunately he slid up and hit him around the neck. No, I, I agree that they are they are different. There was a, uh, an attempt to use his arm, so that would count in his favour. Uh, you, you pointed out this uh, in in the previous pod, didn't you? That a three week ban in a World Cup is, is really severe. It, it mm. seems out of kilter with uh, a short competition like this. We'll have to see what what he gets. I mean, it, it's not a not a very positive thing to say, but he's not really crucial to this to this England campaign, so they can just about get away with it. We'll move on to the rugby. I mean, England clearly moved through the gears against the USA. Two awkward games, if you like, against Tonga and the US. Ten points. Not too many injury concerns, other than uh, players who haven't played really for Eddie Jones, but. Uh, You'd imagine he'd be quite pleased with the performance because it was definitely a shift in gear from England. He was really chuffed with it last night. He made the analogy to the Tour de France. He said, so we, we got through the first stage and, and we're, in, we're in good shape. We don't need to be in the yellow jersey yet. He then said that England are like Lance Armstrong and, and everyone went, oh, please don't use that analogy, Eddie. That just wasn't necessary. I think he means he's heading into the first mountain stage now against Argentina. I think it's probably the, the slightly but, better uh, analogy. I mean, I guess the, the, the positive for England was that Owen Farrell wasn't more seriously injured from what was clearly a, a reckless tackle from the, the US flanker, John Quill. And just to be clear, you know, in my opinion, I mean, that's a red before the World Rugby Directives last year, let alone after yeah. them. So uh, I don't think there's any question about that from, from anyone. So, uh, you know, delighted that Owen Farrell, he didn't actually pick up his nose injury in that tackle he picked it that that nose injury happened a few phases earlier if people were watching closely but uh, Eddie Jones seemed to make light of it thankfully in his post-match press conference Eddie said that it didn't matter if Owen lost half his nose because he was already married and therefore if he if he was he shouldn't be out there looking for him because he's happily settled I mean he keeps a sense of saying if, if somewhat baffled sometimes. Yeah, lively, lively press conferences well listen I was covering the game for ITV with my old boss Sir Clive Woodward uh, and I had a word with him after the game, and I started by asking him how pleased Eddie Jones will be with those first two performances. He'll be delighted, I think. Two kind of awkward games. You know England are going to win, Tonga, USA. You know they're going to win, but there was a step up today from the Tongan game, and to be on 10 points after the first two games is great. But I generally believe, you know, there's some outstanding players in this team, and it's an outstanding team, and I think they'll play better the better the opposition. So they'll know how tough Argentina is going to be because that is a do-or-die game for Argentina. They've They've already lost... You know, what one game. So for them to come in, they lost to France. For them to come in now knowing they've got to beat England, that's going to be a massive game. And that's all Eddie will need. He didn't need to wind the team up or motivate the team. The team will step up. And I think England will play a lot better against Argentina. They've just got to keep going game by game and just look no further than Argentina and just get a win against them, then move on to, to me, what the, the Portis side will be against France. They're in great position now. And if, if I was in Eddie's shoes, we'd be absolutely delighted. 
And some interesting uh, selections, I guess, ahead of that Argentina game. I mean, up front, maybe Mako Vanapola, if he's fully fit, comes in to the reckoning at prop. George Cruz, Itoji in the second row. And I thought the performance of Mark Wilson might warrant a look at six as well. But he seems to be settled on that sort of forward Farrell axis at 10-12. Yeah, if we start with the forward pack, I think uh, Mako, as we all know, if, if Mako is 100% fit, ready to go, he's your starting prop. So I probably would start with him, even as a slight question mark, knowing you've got Marler on the bench. I have to say Marler is probably the one player I want to sort of mention. Anybody else. He's been fantastic because I think it was one of Eddie's masterstrokes of wh- however he got him out of kind of retirement has actually worked so well for him because of Mako's injury. So you're right, I think Mako will start knowing that even if you take him off after half an hour, I'd rather be bringing Marler on than bringing Mako on with some question marks against him. Mark Wilson, you're right. He was great coming on today. And, you know, probably I'd maybe leave that for next week and have him coming on because he made such an impact to start with Underhill. In send that, if if he goes with Wilson, no one can argue with that with Underhill coming on. And I think Ford was, you know, the last sort of two months, Ford has completely turned around his England career because he was, you know, he was in Eddie's sort of plans. He played very well. But I, I just thought that they were going to definitely look at uh, sort of Farrell, um, Slade and Tuolangi. But I think Ford's been outstanding. And I think him and Farrell together, you know, behind a very dominant England forward pack, whoever starts is going to be the key to England, you know, going from game to game and hopefully coming out at the end with a trophy. We saw a red card for uh, John Quill. Probably not the first red card we should have seen in this tournament. And I suspect we may see a sighting uh, for Piers Francis as well. Yeah, there's been a lot of chat about it. I guess uh, I, I think I'm in total agreement with you on all your points. The only thing I've disagreed with is the Hodge three three matches. I think that was maybe a yellow card, possibly red, but I don't think it was three match ban. The two Samoan tackles were X, X-rated. They, they were definitely red cards. The one today by Quill, the American, was red card. And you just wonder what players are thinking and coaches are thinking because they're out the whole tournament now. They, they won't survive the tournament, so their World Cup's over in an instant. So it's a bit crazy. And you know, with the exception of. Piers Francis, who you know will get cited today and play get a ban or, or, or at least a game ban. Um, England have been pretty clean so far, but they've got to do that because there's no doubt the referees are looking for it. If referees want to carry on in the tournament, they can't bottle any decisions. So it's so, so important to come to the knockout stages. And really, England are in knockout stage now to me. They've got to beat Argentina. They've got to beat France. So we just can't afford to have any player being off the field or, or being suspended for any of the matches. And finally, the two big games uh, at the weekend, Ireland-Japan. Joe Schmidt's named a really strong side. And obviously, the other game on, on Sunday, Wales-Australia. Bet you're looking forward to those two in particular. Yeah, beautiful games. I mean, the Japan-Ireland game. Got a feeling about Ireland. They just seem to... They're so good against Scotland. Yes, people have had a bit of a go at Scotland, but Ireland were fantastic. And even without Sexton, that, that's an amazing team. And I think they've given due respect to Japan. So I think Ireland will come through strong. And they are, you know, already, I think they're going to have a big, big part to play in this World Cup. You know, in the other game, Australia-Wales, you know, again, I'm, I'm disappointed Hodge isn't playing because I want to see both teams go full on against this game. But Wales look really good as well. And that is a huge matchup and huge ramifications for England because I do believe England will win the group, which means they'll play the loser of this game at the weekend. So, you know, watching Australia-Wales has got huge interest just from a rugby point of view. But from an England point of view, it's got huge significance because, you know, I think deep down out of the two teams now, England, I think England would probably rather play Australia. You know, we've, we've had our moments in quarterfinals against Wales um, a few years ago, as you know. So um, I'm hoping Wales kind of can, can roll over Australia at the weekend and it'll be an England-Australia quarterfinal if it goes to what we've formed as what we've seen so far. Interesting to hear what Clive was saying there. Will England really prefer to play Australia in the quarterfinals? Owen, I mean, just firstly, the Ford-Farrell axis. I mean, there's no doubt that, that George Ford has gone from being Owen Farrell's immediate 
sort of replacement off the bench to now being the kind of linchpin. He really did pull the strings, albeit against a uh, inferior opponent yesterday in the US. But he seems to have cemented his place with Farrell. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. He's been lucky at the same time that Henry Slade's been unlucky. So so the, the other way of playing the, the, the forward to Alagi Slade axis isn't available. Though that said, Jonathan Joseph, for me, is probably the sharpest tack in the uh, England attack at the moment. So um, so you could recreate it that way. But you know, George has come in and they they played a, a lot of Ford Farrell and it, it has looked good. Um, George, looked, yes, he has looked really, really sharp. Mm. I mean, Lawrence, the, the thing about that is that, yeah, I'm convinced that that's sort of at the moment the, the A1 game, if you like. But George Ford's game always struggled more when England didn't have the go forward, when they weren't, when their forwards weren't allowing him the, the time and the space to, to run the game and attack as he likes. And when did that last happen? When were they last really under pressure? I mean, w- with Ford playing in that position, he, you know, that, that test will come. Let all the England fans pat themselves on the back and say how brilliant it is when he's passed that one as well. But at the moment, he looks confident, he looks on good form, and, and I think, as you say, that's what they'll go with. Yeah, I agree, and I, and I think the good news for, for England fans and Eddie Jones is he's got options. If if Ford is not going quite as well as he did against the US, then, you know, he can always, uh, you know, move Farrell to 10, and, and, and he's got options, you know, further out wide with the likes of Slade or indeed Joseph. I mean, if we turn our attentions up front, I, I think Mark Wilson made a big case for his inclusion uh, at blindside. I thought when he came off the bench for his World Cup debut, I thought he played really, really well and just gives England that really nice balance, I think, in their back row. And clearly, any update from you, Owen, on on the fitness of Mako Vunapola? Because, uh, you know, I'm sure Eddie Jones will want to introduce him into this World Cup sooner rather than later. So there was a, a small training session this morning for people who weren't involved yesterday. And uh, in particular, it involved... Uh, Mako Vinopola, uh, Jack Nowell and Henry Slade, the, the three players who've been injured. Apparently it was a pretty hard session for the, the three players I just mentioned. It was kind of like a fitness test. They all came through it. And so we, we are now told officially they are available for selection for next Saturday, the Argentina game. So England actually have 31 players fit. They might only have 30 available if Pierce Francis sort of goes to the, rug, to the rugby prison for a week or two. But um, yeah, Mako back and he's going to play against Argentina, just whether it starts or off the bench, probably the latter. Well, that's good news for all England fans. And if I was to uh, if I was to pick my pack, I'd definitely put Mako Vanapola in there with George and Sinclair. I think the Cruz Itoji axis is the one that I'd go with. And as I said, I really like the look of Mark Wilson at blindside, Curry on the open side and and Billy will be playing, what, his seventh game in, in, in about as many weeks as well. But uh, can you see any, any surprises in that, in that back line? I mean, a lot of people saying that, that Willie Hines played really, really well yesterday. I thought he had a, a tricky opening 10 minutes and then did settle down for sure. If this was a year away from the World Cup, then you could say, you could imagine Hines making a, a, a case for, for selection ahead of, of Ben Youngs, but... I just, I would just would find that really surprising if um, Ben Young's all all, all nine, ninety plus caps or or whatever, if he didn't keep the shirt. Uh, I I just still feel cross that there's not a not a third nine or a different nine to do something different. But, but that now we're re- rewinding to podcasts from from three weeks ago, mm. so let's not go there. No, I think um I think Ben Young's is is fairly yeah. untouchable. I mean, I can I can and see a case for you know you mentioned it now. Those guys are fit for selection. 
Um, I can see a case for bringing in Slade and Jack Noel. I know they've not played a lot of rugby, but if you don't start introducing them in these sorts of games against Argentina, then you know you run the risk of having that continuity when you really do want to introduce them later on in the tournament. So whilst Eddie... Jones doesn't want to make too many changes. I think if, if he does see any of these players playing a, a part in the in the latter stages, he really does have to give them a bit of game time. And I, I would prefer to see that against Argentina and then take an open mind when it comes to the selection against France. I think, just think the interesting one there is, is Henry Slade and Jonathan Joseph. Joseph, I think he's just, he looks really good. And I just, I wonder at what point you go, well, let's just capture that. Let's really make the most of that and play him more and play him in, in the team and around the players that, 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 uh, that are in that first choice England 15. Um, though, as, as you say, that's kind of hard on Slade. And if you're not going to allow Slade to play into form, then, then he's really just a passenger all the way through. I guess I've just argued against you and then agreed with you there. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not even in front of you threatening you either. If we move on to uh, to the to the game of the weekend, really it has to be Wales Australia. Huge game for both sides, and a huge game, I guess, for England fans as well. Wales name an unchanged team, which uh, which is kind of the way that Warren Gatland likes to do things. Uh, Australia perhaps paying Wales a little bit more respect with their selection, leaving Curtly Beale on the bench and and maybe analysing Wales's strengths and and thinking that they need to select accordingly. It's a slightly different tack from Michael Checker this time around. Isn't it a bit strange, though, to bring in Foley when he's kind of been, you know, on, on the outside? Um that, that that that's sort of a change of tack from um, from Checker, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. But uh, but you've got to think all along that that, that Michael Checker was, well, you know, he knew that this was going to be the defining game in the group. So he must have known that selection was coming down the line. You know, I don't think any of these coaches have have pulled these rabbits out of the hat by any great surprise. I mean, yeah. if we if we yeah. focus on Wales, Owen, I mean, Warren Gatland seems very confident. It's interesting, isn't it? Australia almost beat Wales in their sleep year after year. Then suddenly Wales have have won the last encounter. And Cardiff and and Warren Gatlin's feeling you know quietly confident about this one. Just looking at the World Cup rugby media website at the moment of the team, it says Coach Gatlin bracket New Zealand names Wales team for the game against Australia. They'll love that. Um, we, yeah, Wales are purring along for, for all the turmoil of of, the, of Howley Gate and, and everything. They're, they're pretty happy with where they are. They just well, they're on this roll, aren't they? The the, the grandstand roll, and I don't, I don't think that that that's slowed up no matter what happens uh, with Howley last week. Yeah, I think I think Warren Gatlin's been able to sort of turn things around and quietly ignore the fact that they lost a couple of warm up games, which maybe other sides would have. Well, certainly the media into widespread panic, but didn't seem to send Wales into panic. And then obviously they started against Georgia pretty well. So, uh, But this, this is a big test for them, no doubt about that. And uh, I mean, do you concur with Clive Woodward's uh, view that uh, England would prefer to play Australia in the quarterfinals knockout rather than Wales, given that England have got a bit of recent history, I guess, with the old enemy? I think it's marginal. Wales would just rub their hands with glee at the opportunity of a quarterfinal with England, wouldn't they? Because because they kind of feel that they know how to do that job. England have, have got a good, a good record against uh, against Australia. I, yes, I, I think Clive is right. That, uh, you, you probably marginally want Australia more, but God, you know, wh- whichever way it is, it's going to be a, a hell of a clash that in the quarterfinal, you know, pr- presuming England get that far, of course, at, at this point. I just assumed when Talupi Falatau was injured that, that Moriarty would, would carry on being the eight the way he was uh, for most of the Six Nations. And that's a bit of a surprise. They haven't, they haven't got his big sort of ball-carrying 
uh, presence there. But uh, uh, I, I guess that's more mobility that with Navidia 8. Yeah, and just looking at the other big game of the weekend, Ireland, of course, played the host Japan. Ireland just sort of quietly going through the gears. You know, a lot of their moving parts seem to be slotting into place quite nicely. No Johnny Sexton, he's wrapped in cotton wool because they all remember Irish fans, what happened to him in the last World Cup. So Jack Carty makes his start at fly half. And I guess uh, no Robbie Henshaw as well. He's almost like the the Henry Slade for for Ireland. You know, he's kind of picked up an injury and, and they can't quite seem to get him out on the pitch. But um, surely Ireland, you, you can't see them having too many problems against Japan. He's really gone with virtually a full-strength side, Joe Schmidt. Tough on Henshaw. At what stage, Lawrence, when you have players like that that, that, that are struggling and struggling, at what stage would you cut your losses? Well, I guess, I guess it, really, it really depends on how important the coach and that particular player feels they are to the team. I mean, you know... Richard Hill, we, we kept, you know, he was a, a food bill until the semi-final. But, uh, you know, he was a very good food bill uh, and, and a very worthwhile. I'd have paid his food bill, quite frankly, uh, to have him playing. Uh, Brody Ritalak is a similar food bill for New Zealand. You know, he's, uh, but, but he's got enough credit in the bank. And, and it really just depends. And I, I would put Henshaw in that, in, in that category as well. I think his partnership with Ringrose, I mean, albeit they've got Bundyaki now and Powell as other options, but I still feel Joe Schmidt is very loyal to those players who have, let's be honest, produced world-class performances for him in the past. So I wouldn't rule out Henshaw quite just yet. Was that an expensive food bill that Richard Hill was? I mean, more than you, but... <laughs> well, no, we're talking food, not wine bill. We're talking the food bill, Owen. Uh, so... <laughs> you, you, yeah, England had to carry Johnny through uh, most of 2007 as well, but that would be a very healthy food bill. No yeah. wine on that and just a few prayer books. Yeah. He's got a bit of credit as well, hasn't he? Can you see uh, Ireland sort of uh, just putting in another powerful display or can you see Japan you know, running them quite close? I think the script for that is Ireland powerful display... Japan know that the game that they that they have to win is is the Scotland game. So, but maybe they'll be trying some things out. Maybe they don't want to 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 put too much out there. I I, I think if if you were Jamie Joseph, the, the Japan coach, you you'd be being tactical at this stage rather than going, come on, this is this is a mighty game and we want to do ourselves proud. You'd be using this game as a, as a way to prepare for Scotland. I'd have thought. Well, you mentioned Scotland. You haven't seen them by any chance of this World Cup yet, have you? Well, I suppose that's that they haven't yet turned up sort of a joke, isn't it? I mean, if you're a Scottish fan, it's definitely not a joke. You know, and that's not me Scotland bashing either as an Englishman. I mean, I'm a big fan of Gregor Townsend, a big fan of some of their players in the team. But I I was just so surprised, I guess, by by their lack of energy and their lack of emotion and basic lack of skills that they showed against Ireland. Very, very unlike a, a team that Gregor Townsend puts out. In the hotel where we are in Kobe at the moment, the Scottish media arrived at the start of the week as well. And uh, we, we're, we're going to hear from, from uh, Alistair Reid of, of The Times later on this podcast, I think. But their spirits are so low already. And, and you see them and, and sort of your first question is, well, just explain what happened. You know, I don't understand what happened. You know, was, there, was it food poisoning? Was it a big night out the night before? There had to be an explanation. And, and, and everyone just shrugs and goes, there's no explanation. No, no one's given an explanation. No one can understand. You know, just quite so desperate. And I mean, have you have you caught up with, with any news on Gregor Townsend and how he's kind of, or what he's doing to, to change that? Because let's be honest, this game on Monday against Samoa is, uh, is not an easy one by any stretch. I personally don't know what he's doing. I mean, you mentioned Gregor. I mean, what, he's just a phenomenally good bloke and that doesn't really affect whether Scotland win a game or not. But, but you kind of hope that for him that 
something better happens. It's not about him, it's about his nation. But I, I, don't, I don't know what they'll do, but still they'll be favourites to, to beat Samoa. Still they'll be favourites to, to win that game against Japan on the uh, 13th of October, albeit that you know the world will be watching and hoping they lose at that stage. So still you think they'll probably get to the quarterfinals, but they won't have a very happy time once they get there, I suspect. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Well, he may well be on his way to Tokyo on a bullet train, but it wouldn't be a Ruck podcast without hearing from our very own Stephen Jones. Earlier, he and Slotty caught up with the Times Scottish rugby writer Alistair Reid, who told the boys how badly Scotland's campaign is going down back home. The coverage of Scottish rugby over the past few days has been causing a bit of uh, derision and mockery back home as the SRU are now marking their own homework. So, um, <laughs> if, well, What do you but, mean that SRU are, are marking their own homework? Well, not for the first time. They, they realised they were getting uh, a bit of a bad press, but um, for the first time um, ever in <laughs> any rugby union, as far as I can see, uh, they have appointed their independent commentator to write, uh, uh, to write uh, reports on their website. I mean, how you can have a possessive clause followed by independent, I'm not quite sure, but uh, that's that's what they're doing. And back home, they are being slaughtered for it, and quite rightly, it's a, it's a ridiculous thing to do. But it's a great title, Scottish Rugby Independent Commentator. Did you think of throwing your hat into the ring? I, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're offering, but I, I'm thinking of changing my byline to that. And do you think that you will be very, very critical of the SIU? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, Gloves will be off. No, okay. No, in a word, Slotty. The thing is with the rug <clears throat> that um, three years ago we said like all the Times and Sunday Times um, writers would would come on regularly. We'd all muck in. We'd be a team. So we'd just like to welcome really for his first appearance <laughs> after three years. <laughs> Commitment with a with a capital C is what we need in the, on this podcast. Well, there's yeah. some tired old line about leaving your best wine to last or something. Exactly. Is, is that yeah, really exactly. would that apply? Yeah, there's also a tired old line about scraping the barrel. So. <laughs> okay, well, one of the two. Well, well, listeners can decide. Give us a marks out of ten, or what the hell's the problem, or what? Put your finger on how good Scotland are. Oh, on the basis of Ireland, not not very good at all. They just don't go off the bus on these things. They made a, a habit of starting tournaments extremely badly. They fell flat in their faces against Wales and Six Nations last year. The warm up program, they were they were dreadful down in Nice, where they were slaughtered. That was the first time they'd in Gregor's reign as coach that they failed to score a try, and they did the same against Ireland in Yokohama three, four, five days ago. That's the second time in Gregor's reign that they failed to score a try. Uh, they just didn't front up. They were bullied completely by the Irish forwards. And the thing uh, is, no one seems to have an answer to the question why. You well, know, what happened? If there was a, like, oh, we had food poisoning or... Yeah, I mean, even if they made something up. But yeah, that, is, that I mean, independent guy must have done, surely. Well, he, well yeah, probably. He's, not, he's actually sitting in Edinburgh. But, um, yeah, the, 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 the defence coach, Matt Taylor, we have one. Um, he's <laughs> sat there looking mystified. He's been asked again and again. And he basically threw up his hands and said, no idea, Gov. It's <laughs> encouraging. Yeah, well, at least he speaks for the nation. That's that's how, that's how it stands at the moment. They, 
whether it's a psychological hurdle, whether they don't train against live opposition, whether they just seem astonished to find another team on the park, I don't know. But they, they start really badly. In fairness, they come back strongly. They did in the warm-up programme. They beat France the week later, and they beat uh, Georgia twice, although they should. And then last year, after the debacle against Wales down in Cardiff, they beat England and France in quick succession at Murrayfield. So it's as if they need that boot up the backside to get themselves going. And I would still back them to get through to the quarterfinals. Um, they should beat Samoa, they should beat Russia, but the the game against Japan is just going to be dynamite because mm. that looks likely to be the second-place decider. Every nation has disappointments, uh, really, but... Seriously, was that was that one of the most the kit the, the biggest that you've you've reported on well, in the long history of bad Scottish performances? Well, was that the worst one ever? No, that's that was no, the question. No, 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 no. <laughs> Good God, there was a worse one than that. No, serious. <laughs> oh, I don't know. What would be the worst? Uh, that game we played, twenty fourteen in Cardiff, when Hoggy mm. got a yellow, got turned into a red, and then he got was it fifty points against. There was Twickenham a couple of years ago, 60 oh, points. Was it one of the yeah, top like, 20? <laughs> was yeah. it one of the top 20 bad ones? might just edge in there. I think measured against expectations, it was right up there. Because, the, you know, it was the most experienced Scotland team ever. They, had, um, they talked about playing the fastest rugby on earth. Talked about being the fittest team they've ever been. Mm. And they just didn't get off the bus. Joking apart, Slotty. You just hope they do steam through these other games now and reach the quarterfinal because the Six Nations, as I said many times, it needs six legs on the stool and Scotland not to be in it is um, is a five-legged stool. Mind you, that would be still quite stable, I think, a five-legged <laughs> stool. But anyway, you know what I mean. Well, I don't really know what you mean, actually, Jones. I don't think you mean that for a minute. What, well, you're, what you're saying is is you're, you want Scotland to smash through the host, the lovely host nation who have, for whom we have so much affection. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's a good Scottish team would give every, everything a booster or in, in European rugby. No, no, I, I, I do agree with that. But I think every man in that Scotland team knows that... that, mm. that Outside of Scotland, the, the the rugby world is hoping for a Japan victory in, in uh, probably, that. Probably, probably. As an aside, given the, the the complexities of Japanese toilets, I don't think stools discussions are, are very wise at the moment. There is a there is a carpentry museum in Kobe, though. You can go there to check out how they do them. The five legged stool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure they are. I'm Sachi, sure they are. Sachi, should we say a word about Kobe? Yeah, go on. Then. Because well, we're sitting in the Kobe hotel room. Looking out on the great vista of... Um, oh, that's well, beautiful, isn't it? Well, that, there's a river that, behind... That high-rise in front of us. Yes, it's tremendous. Yeah. But having said that, Colby, when you get into it and really explore, it's a really lovely place. The stadium last night was supercharged. The riverfront, etc. It's a lovely place. <clears> it is the, the rugby capital here, as Eddie Jones keeps telling us. Dan Carter plays here. And we've had a lovely stop over here. The stadium last night for the game, that was the, the best atmosphere that I've, uh, for a game that I've been at. I didn't go to the opening game, which must have been quite special, but yeah. it just felt like it was really rocking. It was I rocking. don't know if that was because there was a lot more, there was a lot more England fans here than there yeah. were in Sapporo. You kind of feel that that kind of, that wave is beginning but to build. In, in previous games, um, they, they've had the songs and the, or the, the music has been fairly, mostly Japanese. But I think they've given up on that now because it was the old Euro sing-alongs last night and I feel that Neil Diamond 
Uh, his dreadful song is only days away from appearing in this tournament. What happens when, when they play that? We're going home. We're all going home by the first available uh, bus. Just some last few thoughts from uh, Room 917, the nerve centre of, of world rugby podcasting, podcasto. Uh, we're sort of going to head off to elsewhere around the country. Where are we all going, Jonesy? I'm going to, after doing a massive interview, uh, which everyone will be following up today, I'm going back to Tokyo and then to Kamagaya for the uh, Ireland-Japan uh, match, which, which should be absolutely terrific, on the Shinkansen. So really looking forward to it. And uh, just from me, uh, good luck, Lol. Have a good show. And also our producer, Mike Bovril. Um, have a good show. Really? Uh, yeah, where am I off to? Well, I'm, good. I'm actually going to the Carpentry Museum. I'm fascinated by these stools and... After that, I'm going to see. Uh, <laughs> he's gone. I think I'm gone. I'm going, going, yeah. One podcast of yeah, it. I know. Then I'm off to Osaka. 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 Sorry. Yeah, that's sorry, right. Sorry. I, 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 my Japanese is still a bit rusty. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Osaka for uh, Argentina v Tonga, and then somehow scrape through the weekend, and on Monday go to watch Scotland, Samoa, and Kobe. We'll just wrap up with our favourite uh, Japanese expression. Ah, Scotolando amari yokunai. Oh dear, Scotland are not very good. Owen, unlike Scotland, your Japanese seems to be getting better and better. So I was so excited the other day that when I, I mastered counting from one to five in Japanese, I found myself recounting it to, to a Japanese granny that, that, I, that I was in conversation with. <laughs> Do you not buy more than five drinks at the bar then? Is that, is that the way you worked it out? I can go to Gobieri Kudasai. That's, that's as far as I can get. <laughs> Talking quite candidly now, is, I mean, is Jonesy right? Is it better for Scotland to reach the quarterfinals or would everyone prefer to see someone like... I mean, listen, it happened to England in 2015. You know, would someone prefer to see a team like Japan or or even Samoa get there? I think almost every impartial rugby fan would love to see Japan reach the quarterfinals of their own World Cup. They'd love to see that upset. It'd be just magnificent for this competition if they could pull off that upset and reach the quarterfinals. They've never been there before. It's a bit hard on Scotland that that, that they have to play that role of of, uh, of being in in the way, being the full guy, if you like. But um, yeah, I, I think... Unless you're Scottish, everyone in the rugby world will be hoping that Japan get through in their stead. Let's just talk more generally around the, the atmosphere in the grounds. I mean, you guys are down there on the ground. I mean, the matches are, they look like they're selling out. I mean, the atmosphere looks great. The drums just before the teams come out. I'm sort of waiting for a couple of sumo wrestlers to be placed, you know, strategically either side of the World Cup. Um, but it but it does feel like the atmosphere is really there. And, we, and we've seen some wonderful, wonderful spectacles. I mean, I'd like to just ask you a quick question about that incredible match in uh, Komayashi, uh, Fiji against Uruguay. I mean, that for me almost produced the moment of the World Cup. Certainly the, the post-match interview with the Uruguayan captain was, was wonderful. Yeah. yeah, it was heaven, wasn't it? The atmosphere has, has been great. You know, I think everyone here is, is enjoying it. The, in terms of matches, I felt Sapporo felt slightly quiet Kobe last night for England was a riot. You know, it was more England fans have turned up, and I'm sure there'll be you know many more for the the next two games, Argentina and France. Really noisy. If I have one thing, Lawrence, I just I feel that Japan and the Japanese hosts they're they're so respectful that that I don't think they've put enough of their own imprinted enough of their own culture onto this World Cup as they could have done. I mean, you know, you you joke, you know, we, we. 
we'd like a couple of sumo wrestlers sort of leading the teams out. Well, I don't think that's a joke. I think it'd be, it'd be hilarious. I'd, I'd like a bit more of the Japanese music and Japanese culture around it all. They seem to be doing it in a very sort of polite, behind-the-scenes kind of way. I mean, I noticed in the opening game, the Japanese team presented the Russian captain with a uh, samurai sword. They decided that the, I'm not sure if it was the captain, but they voted on their best Russian player that they played against that day. And in the changing room, they, they presented him with a samurai sword. And I just think that's a wonderful, wonderful sort of touch, really, and something that they're clearly probably going to do against every team that they play against. We should make more of that because it's a, it's a really special thing. Completely agree. Maybe you can bring that with you when you arrive. <laughs> well, as, as you touch on that, I cannot wait to seriously get out to Japan. I'm not too confident with the Japanese language myself just yet, but uh, luckily I've got Jonesy and Slotty here to help me. Listeners so enjoyed the uh, language school that uh, the Rutka has started up. Jonesy and I are back here with... Uh, uh, lesson number two, Japanese phrases for ruck followers. Off you go, Jonesy. Well, here we go with the first one. Let's see how many people at home realise what I'm saying. Referee handung matchigateru. The referee is having a mare. Well, next one is pretty self-explanatory, I think. Ah, Scotlando amari yokinai. Oh dear, Scotland are not very good. Wales, E.A. Nikaele. No, no more Wales coaches have gone home yet. Here we go. Each Banseki na Lugabi podcaster. Seriously, that means this is my favourite rugby podcast. And just to uh, top us off, uh, the, the last one in this rugby translation lesson. Nazere, Lawrence Delalio san, Osira nai no? What do you mean you've never heard of Lawrence Delalio? A lot of people have been saying that, actually. In, in yeah. fact, in, in more than one language. Yeah. Yes. Okay. We've been having to pave the way for Lawrence's arrival. We're like John the Baptist, aren't we? Yeah. A, te- a yeah. team of Baptists. Yeah, that's why we don't get crucified at the end. Very harsh, Jonesy. Very harsh indeed. And Owen, oh, Italy, uh, would be wrong of me not to mention them. Conor O'Shea has got two wins that he wanted. They still look like they're a little bit porous defensively, even though they didn't concede that many points I mean can you can you make any case for them I guess their their World Cup is kind of done really in the sense that they've they've qualified for 2023 with that win they'll believe that they can beat South Africa and then they play New Zealand and I suppose given what happened in the last tournament we we mustn't write them off but can you honestly see that causing an upset no I mean someone mentioned that's the first time Connors Italy have won two games in a row since he took over I don't know if that's true but not very complimentary hey it would be splendid if they rose up and um, uh, it's about bloody time that they did to be honest with you but uh, I, I can't see that so something major has got to happen and South Africa and New Zealand are simply too good for them Okay, if I was to put you on the spot and ask you the big game of the weekend, and I mean no disrespect to Ireland or our host Japan, but Wales-Australia, who, who wins that game? I think Wales just do that. I think, they, I think Wales win that. They back their defence, and, that, and that's what kept them on a high, got them to number one for, for in the world for half an hour sometime in, in August, I think it was. I don't think that'll be enough against some other teams with a better attack, but I, I just think Australia... Do, they, they do have some limitations and, and Wales will be good enough for that one. 
Yeah, I mean, I find it difficult to disagree with you there as much as I really want to. Do see Wales um, just being too strong, I think. Their set piece is very strong. Alan Wynne-Jones playing his 130th match. I think they've got a settled side and and they look sharp at at times and I think they will play much better than we saw them in the opening game against Georgia. So uh, Wales, for me, um, in a pretty close game. And and I I see Ireland really improving again. And as much as uh, Japan will put in a good effort, uh, I could see... Ireland winning by at least two clear scores in that one um, and really Japan perhaps keeping their powder dry for Scotland and they think that that's where they can get some value. What, what, what about Scotland-Samoa? I mean, can we foretell the demise of Scotland in that one or would that be too early? I've got to wait to... I think, well, no, we can foretell it, but I just, I just see Scotland bouncing back in that performance. I think Scotland, uh, you know, I say we've all been there. I've, I've been there where we've played games where we've not turned up uh, for some inexplicable reason. And I can assure you it doesn't happen twice because if it happens twice, you don't play international rugby much longer. And I think it's not, it's, it's, it's not as, as far-fetched to say that there are coaches and players playing for their international futures in that game. And that tends to breed a level of desperation that will get the job done, I feel. Would England 36-0 defeat to South Africa in 2007 be it kind of an equivalent that you would have experienced, Lawrence? I mean, that was a game where people were genuinely baffled about what happened to England and, and, and it, did, it did spark quite something. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, listen, it's very hard to score nil in rugby, but we managed to do it fairly comfortably that day. And uh, um, so, yes, and, and I mean, look what happened. You know, we turned things around, not not necessarily immediately, but, uh, you know, slowly but surely we, we got the results and beat Australia, then France in their own backyard and, and were one TMO decision away from uh, lifting the trophy again. So, you know, let's uh, let's hope Scotland can start that kind of recovery because every team is going to have a big performance in them. And I'm pretty sure Scotland's is going to come against Samoa, especially if, if Samoa gets some uh, unwelcome news that they might be uh, two players down after the tackles that they made in, in, in previous matches. Owen, thanks very much for reviewing all the games at the weekend. What are you sort of focusing your attentions on? Karaoke, Kobe beef, then tomorrow... Uh, I'm heading to the Argentina game. Having had to have my second look at the, at, uh, at the Argentinians uh, ahead of the England game next week. Then, uh, really looking forward to Sunday, getting on the old bullet train from Kobe up to Tokyo and off to that Wales-Australia game. Well, listen, it sounds like you've got a very action-packed and very fun weekend. So I look forward to catching up with you on the other side next week. My thanks to Owen Slott, to Stephen Jones, Alistair Reid, and of course, Sir Clive Woodward. The Ruck returns on Monday when we'll know who's come out on top between Wales and the Wallabies and if Scotland have survived against Samoa. Never miss an episode. Subscribe now through Acast, iTunes, or your favourite podcast provider. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.